Well, we are in a uh, series of messages this summer called Church 2.0. As we get settled into our uh, new space, we thought it might be a good idea to kind of revisit what it means to be the church. What is this calling to be a family of God's people all about? And so we looked at um, what Jesus has called us to as his church to glorify God and to reach out to others. We looked at this idea of worship, the idea of how God grows us spiritually through his church. Uh, we looked at this, the calling that we have as God's church to reach out to the world and extend his hands into the world. And we looked last week at the idea of grace, sort of the, uh, the first uh, guiding principle of who we are as a church. And uh, if you've ever been through Discover Hope, our membership class, you know that our core values begin with grace and truth. And so as we looked last week at the concept of grace, this week we will look at the concept of truth and ask the question, what is it that God wants to uh, say to us as a church about his truth? What role should it play in the life of our family of faith. And uh, as we do that, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'll just say that for those of you who may not have uh, heard me a whole lot over the course of the past few years. Um, those of you who've enjoyed that blessing, I'll just say it that way. Um, I'm going to, normally, my, my default when preaching is to take one passage of Scripture and kind of stay there. And as I, was, as I was sort of looking through various passages on the truth this week, uh, something jumped out to me, and that is that the Apostle John, most likely the, the single human being who was personally closest to Jesus during his life on this earth, they were very close friends, has a great number of things to say about this idea, this concept of truth. And so what I've done is I've collected several of John's uh, comments related to the subject of truth into one little area on your page. You can follow along in your bulletin. They'll, they'll be up on the screen behind me. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to just sort of bounce through some of these various iterations of this idea as they come to us through the Apostle John. And then we'll go back and try to make some sense out of all of it. I want to begin where uh, Jesus is on trial. And he has been uh, brought before the Jewish leadership where he was uh, condemned by them to death for essentially the crime of blasphemy, for claiming to be God. Um, and they hand him over to the Roman authority to be crucified. Uh, if you know the story, Pontius Pilate is, is somewhat reluctant to fulfill this request of Jesus' fellow citizens. And so he has some conversations with the crowds. He has a series of conversations with Jesus himself. Uh, he even gets a word of advice from his wife, which to his own peril he ignores. Um, and uh, here we are. And so, in the middle of all this, there's an exchange between Jesus 
and Pontius Pilate. And I want to take you there because it's a very uh, poignant moment in the Christ's progression to the cross. Starting in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 33 through 38. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate asked. Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then? said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. From the first chapter of John's Gospel, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then from the epistle of 1 John, John's letter, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Then Back to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I remember as a, as a college student taking a course 
called Christian theology. And I thought that by taking a course called Christian theology, I would deepen my understanding of the Bible and what we believe as Christians. Unfortunately, what I did not know was that the perspective of the faculty member who was teaching the class on Christian theology was quite different from what we might hold to be, well, the truth. And so I spent a very confused semester reading what this person was saying in our textbook. If any of you know an author named John McQuarrie, I'm sorry for you. Um, Somewhat convoluted and quite a bit weird, and it really had nothing to do with what's in this book. And what the author of that textbook was trying to do was sort of rewrite what Christian truth was. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that he taught was that, uh, and you may, not, you may not immediately find this distinction disturbing, but that instead of this book being the Word of God, instead of the Bible being the Word of God, he would say, the Bible contains the Word of God. And then the inspiration of the Holy Spirit we would go to uh, Timothy 3.16, Second Tim- Timothy 3.16, which says all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. And that's where we derive our doctrine of inspiration, that the Holy Spirit inspired what's in here. And we take that in a rather uh, humble position that God is showing us who he is through his word. He's revealing himself. And Mr. McQuarrie would say, well, no, inspiration is what happens when you read that which contains the word of God. As you read this book, you are inspired. Um, Do you see the difference? So there's there's this distinction that Mr. Quarry was making between the Word of God coming from here or from here. So that my interpretation of the Word of God is where the inspiration takes place versus when the Scriptures were inspired is when inspiration took place. So that one is sort of a, a subjective view of what scriptural truth might be. The other is what we might call an objective view of what scriptural truth is. That was a very confusing year. I don't know if I've even explained it adequately to you right now, right? But no one explained the difference to me. The professor just got up and said, this is the way it is, and you need to understand the way I'm explaining it, and he never gave any other points of view, right? All I knew was that there was something about what he was saying that just wasn't right. It didn't sit well with me, but I couldn't figure out what it was. 
as we come to this idea of the truth, it is, it, you don't need me to tell you that our entire culture is at war over this very thing. What is the truth? Where does, from where does truth come? Does it come from God or does it come from man? Who's in control? I'll just ask you this question. What did the serpent say to Eve? As he was encouraging her to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will not die, but when you eat of it, you will be like God. The human position then is between these two poles. Is truth coming from God or is it coming from us? And to a certain extent, I want to sort of explode that whole um, way of looking at truth this morning. Um, and let me, try to, let me try to begin to get to where that is. As we read these passages from John, first and foremost, I mean, Pilate's question, does it get any better than that? You know, face to face with the Son of God, the living Word Himself, the truth that came from God to the world. And Pilate says, what's truth? What, what, what is truth? And, you know, I don't know that historical irony gets any better. But in these passages from John, we're called to listen to the truth that comes from God. To render ourselves before the Word of God in a posture of humility. Lord, you know the truth. You are the truth. Uh, teach me, grow me, guide me. Um, the first thing I want to point out that we can gather from some of these passages is that as we listen to the truth that comes from God, we, we realize that truth is known through faith. In John 8, 31 and 32, it says, to the Jews who had believed in him, who had placed their faith in Jesus, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth comes to the human soul by faith. This is the vehicle through which we come to know the truth. This is important because, uh, you know, my father may fall out of his chair when, he, when I say this, but one of the things that I learned from this wonderful man is... There are two things you can never argue anyone into agreement about. Politics and religion. And so when we take a posture with regard to the truth, 
that is combative or argumentative or apologetic in nature, um, it may make us feel better about what we believe, but it's probably not the pathway by which we're going to convince someone else about what the truth is. This, what John is, what the Holy Spirit is saying through John is that truth is known through faith. Through an understanding that comes through something other than our ability to argue. Truth is known through faith through the work of Christ, John tells us in his letter, his first letter in chapter 5, verse 6. Through the work of Christ and through the voice of the Holy Spirit. As Christ's work is applied to our souls, the spark of faith is lit. We are changed. We have new eyes, the Bible tells us, to see and perceive that which God is saying to us. And the Spirit then takes up residence in our heart and begins to teach and guide and shed his light upon our lives. The truth is known through faith, and the truth is known through the Trinity. Um, Honestly, I didn't, you know, when I started just pulling these passages together, I had no, um, I, I didn't have the Trinity in view. But as I spent time in these passages, there, there's all, it's all there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all related to the truth. Um, this all comes at the Father's initiative. The Father sends His Son. He sends His Spirit. He emanates the truth to the souls of His people. And it comes through His initiative and through the Son's external testimony, that is, through the work of Christ, as we've already seen. Christ lives out the truth all the way to the cross. He takes it as far as it can go to, the, to His own peril, if you will, but for our blessing and benefit. And what Christ has done, that which God the Father sent Christ to accomplish is an external work. It is visible, it was public, it was out there. And it teaches us what the truth is. But then there's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's internal testimony to us as we grow, as our faith develops. We are to listen to the truth that comes from God through faith and through the Trinity. And we are to know the truth as a person. This, if you hear nothing else of what I say, hear this. The truth is a person. If you want to be theologically technical, it is three persons. It is one being in three persons. But the truth is a person. So how is this important if I, if I look at the truth as an objective idea that's out there that can be studied and analyzed and what have you, um, I'm distant from it. If, on the other hand, I look at the truth as a purely subjective interpretation, then I'm, I'm unmoored. I have no uh, grounding. But if, on the other hand, I have one foot 
in the reality that the truth is a person and another foot in the reality that this is a relationship and something that I experience and that changes me through my interaction with it, which has a subjective element to it, the truth becomes something far greater than either one of these two alternatives. There is such a thing as objective truth. But at the end of the day, what matters the most in Scripture is that the truth is a person who loves us, who knows us, who is in the process of growing us. We are in a relationship with the truth. Jesus is the truth, John tells us with no hesitation. He is the eternal word we see in the first chapter of his gospel. And he became one of us. This idea of uh, the word in that verse in John chapter 1 was a, an idea that came from Greek philosophy, the logos of God. This was a word that meant the essential being of the universe, the essence of everything. And you still see that that word was of central importance to the thought of those days. And you still see it. I mean, everything we study has an has a logos at the end of it. Biologos, biology, theology, psychology, all of that is, is sort of saying we want to get at the central essence of whatever this is we're studying. The word is today, several thousand years later, still used. John says Jesus is this central reality of all things. He is the logos. And he became one of us. He took on flesh. He breathed. He walked. He cried. He lived. He ate. He is the eternal word. And he is human. Jesus is the truth. And the spirit is the truth. And again, I wasn't expecting this part of what came out of this study this week. I was expecting to tell you that Jesus is the truth. We've all heard that one, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did you read, did you hear when we were reading these passages? First uh, John chapter 5, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. whoa, I really didn't see that coming. If, if you needed to support the idea of the Trinity in a discussion you were having with someone, that's pretty strong right there. We know that Jesus is the truth from the Gospel of John. We know that the Spirit is the truth from the first letter of John. The Spirit leads us to Christ and he leads us through life. John calls the Holy Spirit the counselor, the one who comes alongside of us, who's present in us and with us, who walks with us through every phase and stage and trial of life. The truth is a person whom we can know. 
God obviously is three persons in one God. And the truth is alive. We can know Him. We can grow in our relationship with the truth. As we're called to listen for the truth that comes from God, to know that the truth is a person, we are also called to enjoy God's truth forever. That starts now, right? Um, we enjoy the truth because the truth brings redemption. In John's letter, chapter 5, you saw the language about water and blood. And John was Jewish. And so when he uses these images, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament, to the use of water in the ritual worship of God's people, um, and to the use of blood. Water represented cleansing, and the blood represented atonement. And so, through the work of redemption that the truth brings to bear on our lives, we see that Christ cleanses us, and he forgives us. Here begins the joy, the relief, the freedom. Well, we'll get to that. Um... The truth is a person with whom we grow in our relationship and we're called to enjoy. As redemption comes to bear on our souls and we find our cleansing and forgiveness in Christ, then we see that the truth also brings freedom. An eternal connection to grace. Grace is the well that never runs dry. Truth is the person who pushes the water from that well over our souls. John says in the first chapter of his gospel that the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The truth who is Jesus Christ, is an eternal well of grace for our souls. We have this connection to God, and we have an eternal place in God's kingdom. You have been purchased at a price that brings us into the same family. Why is the truth one of our core values at Hope? Because this is what puts us all on equal footing. That we have been shown the grace of God. None of us is any better than any other one of us. But in that demonstration of God's grace, God also proves that He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is that which is fixed, which is unchanging, which doesn't dim or fade. His truth stands forever because He is the truth. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you are called into that 
family to live in the light of his truth forever. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called our church to be grounded in your word, to be centered around your word, because you are the word, the word of truth that became flesh, that poured out the blood of your son for our forgiveness, that washed us clean and brought us to new life in Christ. We thank you for the many blessings which we enjoy as being a part of your church. And we pray, Lord, that here in this place and in each of our hearts, your truth would reign. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.